Fantasy is a natural human activity. It does not destroy or even insult reason. For creative fantasy is founded on a recognition effect, but not a slavery to it. From an essay on fairy stories by J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm Nicholas Kotar, author of fantasy inspired by Slavic fairy tales and seeker after the good, the true, and the beautiful. You're listening to Fantasy for Our Time. In this podcast, I discuss classic and new fantasy media, have long and involved conversations with authors and storytellers, and explore how stories can help us all live a better, more fulfilling life. Hello, dear friends, and welcome to episode 23 of the podcast. This is the final episode of my series on accepting unexpected hardships and using stories to help overcome them in a lasting way. Using Aragorn from The Lord of the Rings as our model, we finally come to the crux of the matter. It's time to accept our quest. But this is a delicate and difficult thing. It can only be done after you've finished the first steps of becoming a deeper person which I talked about in the previous episodes. And of course, there are plenty of temptations to power and to pride along the way. As usual, Russian fairy tales give us a subtle and wise guidepost in how to extend our deep heart outwards to others and accept our quest to live the deep life, as Aragorn did, with humility and purpose. Today's show is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. They are the backbone of my work. They inspire me and keep me creating. If you'd like to support this show, you can join for $2 a month or more if you'd like. I like to give special gifts to my patrons, and recently I sent them all out an exclusive novella set in the Raven Sun universe called The Son of the Deathless. If you'd like to get your copy, visit patreon.com forward slash Nicholas Kotar. And if you enjoy this podcast, I'd be very grateful if you left a rating and a review on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. It does help other people discover this podcast. Thank you so very much to those who have already left a review. And now, on to today's show. So those of you who have come to me, uh, who have come to listen for the first time, I'll go through a quick recap. This is the last video in a series that was supposed to be seven weeks long, and it ended up being about seven weeks, but not seven videos. Uh, on resilience and courage through story. And the idea came about partly as a result of my Patreon book club's reading of The Lord of the Rings. Aragorn, more than ever before, stood out to me this time, my 12th read-through, I think, uh, as someone who was a really fantastic role model to do what Cal Newport, a hero of mine, calls the deep reset. Wait, so what he's talking about is to embrace a different kind of life, one that isn't constantly conditioned by reactively freaking out about the news. I think anybody with half a brain will agree that uh, reading the news nowadays is an exercise not only in futility, but probably in um, comedy. Uh, As though the human race has never gone through plagues before, Cal Newport calls the uh, deep reset a way of embracing a different way, a different kind of life, a different kind of relating to difficulty, especially unexpected difficulty that involves shutting out shallow and manipulative sources of information, of which there are legion, and delving deeply into solitude, into study with the mentor, into deep, long-form knowledge, into craft, and ultimately into what Ivan Ilyin, the great Russian philosopher, calls the deep heart. 
In my previous lessons, I talked about how to how to find a mentor, even if you can't have one sitting next to you drinking coffee with you on a weekly basis. Then we talked about the importance of solitude. We talked about the importance of starting and maintaining a craft both for the hands and for the mind. And we talked about why accepting your doom in the sense of doom that uh, Tolkien gives it as a kind of <clears throat> a calling that is conditioned by the realities of life, not by what you would like the realities of life to be. And so we come finally, uh, so in retrospect, if we look at the lessons that Aragorn has to give us, they are as follows. The first one is find a mentor, but make sure he or she is the right one because the wrong mentor can do much more damage uh, than no mentor at all. Second is to seek solitude because in that solitude is both contemplation and joy. The third is to try out different ideas, sometimes bad ones, by delving deeply into their hearts to test them out and see if those ideas have anything good in their heart, keeping in mind the teachings of your mentor. Then find a craft, become good at it, seek a course of study, delve deeply into it, and as I talked about last time, find, start to seek a way of life that <clears throat> descends constantly into the reality of your own heart. That means a very specific kind of relation to culture, to spirituality, to the world around you that is intended to sharpen the natural instinct that human beings have to do good in illuminating ways. But today we get to the really important stuff. Because if the first five steps of Aragorn's journey are a kind of testing phase that you can do on your own inside the comfort of your own home, we're going into the action phase now. The action phase consists of two parts. The first is extending your heart outward. Of course, this is very much conditioned by you having descended into your heart in the first place and started to really relate to yourself on a more deep on a deeper foundation but once you start doing that then you can really accept something that let's call the quest with a mix of humility and purpose to transform your life into something deeper and then transform the lives of others around you not through teaching them how to do it but through being a source of illumination that they can't avoid but be attracted to, they can't avoid, but want to emulate. So actually, on the face of it, it's not all that complicated, if you look at it written out in a nice little list of seven principles. But of course, it's not easy at all. Because if you do this before you're ready, if you extend outward into the action phase, one of two things will happen. One, and this is probably what most of you have seen, especially out, out there in the social media, you'll be an overbearing and annoying moron who can't see his or her own blind spots. We see a lot of this right now. Uh, in the wake of the election and even before the election, in the myriad, many different uh, gradations of both nonsense and wisdom when it comes to the reactions, both scientific and non-scientific, to the pandemic, we see a lot of this sort of overbearingness. That's the first thing that will happen if you're not ready. The second thing is you might burn out very quickly if you're not ready. If you extend outwards too quickly, you are exposing your deep heart very quickly to others. That, that way lies burnout. And it's a very dangerous kind of burnout that all of us are probably going to have to face on some level during these next coming months because things are probably going to get worse before they get better. In other words, if I leave you with any thought after these videos here, 
which are ostensibly about storytelling, but really are about using story to live a more deeply uh, rewarding life. The reality probably is that most for a long time still, most of your attention, most of my attention, most of our attention will probably be focused on the things we've spoken about in the testing phase. Just because I'm talking about the action phase today does not mean that I recommend that everybody go into the action phase right now. It's going to take a while. It might take years. And really, it's not a matter of, of checking off numbers on a list and finally getting to a point where you can share with your great and vast wisdom. If I learn anything from reading Ivan Ilyin's Foundations of a, of a Christian Culture, which is a wonderful, wonderful book, highly recommended, it's that the important thing is to start moving along the path of internal transformation, not finishing it, because you will not be able to finish it. And if you continually try to finish it, but before extending your heart outwards towards others, and extending your story out, out towards others, extending your talents and your gifts out towards others, then you're never going to do it. You're just going to be stuck in eternal sol solipsism, waiting for some sort of a divine voice to tell you, move out and go do your thing. Yeah, well, not all of us are Moses, are we? <laughs> so... Let's be honest, for most of these coming months, we're probably all going to be focused very, very hard on the testing phase, on finding a mentor, on learning to love solitude, on reading a lot, trying out different ideas, becoming good at a craft, all in the process of accepting this reality as a way of making ourselves ready for whatever we can, whatever might possibly come over these next months, years, in our lifetime. But if we do this, at a certain point, something interesting will happen. I know because it has happened to me on some level already. Not that I've somehow reached a higher uh, level of something or other. I think all of you will have had a moment, or maybe several, those of you especially who work in creative fields, a moment that if you started the process of internal uh, work properly, you get these little intimations of, oh, I want to try this thing. I want to write this story that I've never thought about before. I want to express this particular talent of mine that I've never shown to anyone else before. And you feel this, this interesting sense of time and space coming together in a way that perfectly makes possible this expression of this gift. But... In order to properly understand it without getting too woo-woo, because I don't like getting woo-woo, I'm going to read from the Russian fairy tale of Vasilisa the Beautiful, which I've shared with you before. Uh, but this tale expresses the moment of internal readiness for the heart to extend outward in the gift of story or in the gift of talents or in the gift of craft in a way that is really beautiful. So I wanted to share it with you. This is after, those of you who haven't read the story, uh, do check out my podcast, In a Certain Kingdom, where I retell this entire story and uh, to set to beautiful music. And I also do a little bit of analysis of the story um, more deeply than I'm able to in this live video here. So at this point, Vasilis has gone through the gauntlet. She's gone basically into the depths of the dark forest, which is, you know, the gauntlet. She's come out of it. She's come out with not merely a talisman that protects her from evil and gets rid of the, in a very um, scary way, the uh, 
hindrance of her stepmother and stepsisters. But now, and now a new phase of the story begins. Vasilisa buried the skull, the skull that burned up her stepmother and stepsisters. She buried the skull in the earth, locked the house, and went into the city. She asked to live with an old woman who had no family. The old woman took her in. There Vasilisa lived for a while, waiting for her father to return from his trip. But soon, she got bored. Grandmother, she said to her, I don't like sitting around with no work. Can you get me some linen? I want to sew something. The old woman went to the town and bought her some of the best linen she could find. Vasilisa sat down, and the work just flowed out of her. She spun the linen thread so finely, so straight, that it was like human hair. Soon it was time to begin weaving, but no loom was found anywhere that could fit such fine thread, and no one even bothered to help Vasilisa find a better one. They just said it simply couldn't be done. So Vasilisa asked her doll for help. Those of you who know the story, she has a doll that, f that fulfills her wishes, but in very interesting ways. Bring me an old loom, said the doll, an old shuttle, and some horsehair. I'll fix everything up for you. Vasilisa did as she was told, and as she was supposed to do, she went to sleep. Overnight, the doll made her a beautiful, brand new loom. By the end of winter, Vasilisa finished her weaving. It was so thin, so fine, that it could fit. The entire fabric could fit through the eye of a needle. In spring, she and the old woman whitened the linen, and Vasilisa told the old woman, Go ahead, grandmother. Sell the linen. You can keep the money. But the old woman looked at the linen and gasped, No, my child. No one but the king can wear such linen. I am going to bring it directly to the palace. So the old woman went to the palace grounds, but kept walking back and forth in front of the windows. Finally, the king noticed and asked, What do you need, old woman? Your royal highness, she said, I have brought you a wondrous thing. I want to show it to no one but you. The king ordered that she be let in. He took one look at the linen and gasped aloud. What do you want for it? asked the king. Oh, it's priceless, my lord king, said the woman. I'll give it to you for free. When it came time to make a shirt from that linen, though, it was so fine, no seamstress dared even try it. So finally, the king had to call the old woman back and said, If you could weave such a fine fabric, then you should be able to make a shirt out of it. But it wasn't me, highness, said the old woman. It was a young girl in my charge. Well, then have her make the shirt. The old woman left and told Vasilisa everything. And Vasilisa smiled to herself and said, I knew that this work would come back to me. She locked herself up in her room and started to work. She worked without stopping for as long as it took. And soon she had 12 shirts ready. This is a lovely conclusion to a, to a rather dour and kind of dark story. Why? Because it has... In, in the movement of the story, it has an entire kind of hero's journey's worth of insight, especially for this moment that I want to talk about today, the, the inner awakening that gives you the sense that it's now time to stop being in your own head and start moving out to help others with your gift. So the moment of awakening is simple for her. She's, she is sitting at home, having gone through some terrible uh, fright, uh, frightening experiences, but rather than wait for her father and kind of let things take their course, she can't possibly sit still. She must do something with her hands. And initially, this is the moment of testing. This is where all the ordeals that she has gone through have to go physically into the object that she is making. But what ends up happening? There is a synthesis of 
craft and something else, something transcendent, something from outside. Call it talent, shall we? And in the synthesis, in the synergy of simple hard work and talent that is illuminated or inspired by some source from outside, something incredible comes out. This fabric that nobody can even sew because every single needle would just tear a hole in it and every single bit of thread that would be necessary to hold the pieces of the fabric together in a shirt form would simply rip the thing apart. So the next level is needed. So first we have the need to work. This is the first moment of awakening. I can't sit still. I have to work. I'm sick of sitting in my own my own head and my own thoughts, sick of thinking through all the possibilities of relating to the outside darkness, relating to the difficulty uh, that I have to go through. I need to do something. That's the first sight, and she does it, and that's how we should respond to it as well. Then something happens, the inspiration in the process, where the, the work seems to flow out from her. That is not simply a gift, and nor is it simply something that happens in fairy tales. That is what that is the natural result of the first five steps of Aragorn's journey, the testing phase, of taking all of those steps of going deep into yourself and practicing and practicing and honing and thinking and being and engaging with thoughts and with other ideas and with other people even at a distance and only then after you've gone through that gauntlet through that difficulty can you then allow or it allows you the inspiration comes and it just makes the thing happen something that writers call flow state those of you who are writers will know what i'm talking about there is comes a point when you're writing any story that you no longer have the a problem with putting word after word when you're sitting down either in front of your notebook or at a, at, a, at your laptop. The words flow and the, the story flows and the ideas come out as though unimpeded, like water breaking through a dam. It's quite a wonderful and fantastic feeling. And it can only happen, again, in this moment of synergy, of synthesis between internal dogged work ethic and something ineffable, talent, or as you want to even call it, illumination, that can only come about as a result of descending deeply and facing yourself inside yourself. And then after that comes the moment of the sharing of the work with others. When Vasilisa says, I knew this work would come back to me. And that is the real, that is the really beautiful moment. When not simply have you shared that gift, not simply have you extended your heart outward, following the list of tasks uh, based on Aragorn's life. But that extending of the heart comes back to you in the feedback from those who encounter your gift, encounter your story, encounter your talent. And then they say, what do I do with this? Tell me more. And then you have that incredible and wonderful conversation that happens between reader and writer, between artist and viewer, between storyteller and audience, between gift giver and gift receiver. That is where the magic happens. And that's where, as we know in the story, those of you who haven't finished that story, again, listen to the episode uh, in uh, my podcast, In a Certain Kingdom, they get to a point where they encounter the king. And the king, of course, is an image of that thing that we are reaching for, that perfection of human and divine happiness, that moment Evangeline calls of illumination coming from the heart that cannot help but awaken others to the same journey, to the same process. And so this is the thought that I really wanted to leave you with. 
uh, as I conclude this series on resilience and courage through story. It looks like we're entering a long, dark winter. I have been reassured by the many reasoned, calm voices that there are out there about politics, about the pandemic, about a lot of things. But there are still far more reactions that are inspired by blind fear and something that I cannot help but call mass psychosis. I mean, just to give you one, one brief little example as a story, not as a political comment. The mayor of a town in Ohio, I think it's Akron, just today has demanded that people wear masks as they sit at home during their th home Thanksgiving celebration. But that's not enough. He's also providing everyone with a hotline so that neighbors can do the proper thing and rat out their neighbors. Their evil, quarantine-breaking, subhuman brothers. Welcome to the surveillance state, my people. But rather than rail about it, there's enough of that going on. I know you know that. What I want to leave you with is a call to action, not simply to complaining. Whatever your talent is, whatever your abilities are, whatever your gift is, please don't hoard it this winter. Cultivate it. And if the moment comes, and you'll know when it comes, share with others if you can. If you've reached that moment of deep illumination that Ilin talks about, that moment to talk about, uh, to answer indirectly Seraphim's question about the human divine inner royalty, Ilin talks more about the human person having a divine principle inside himself that he, that he or she rarely realizes because it happens in the heart. He's quoting scripture there. Uh, the kingdom of God is within you. So he doesn't get very esoteric with it. He's quite traditional with that idea. But all that to say that that deep illumination that he talks about and that the story Vasilisa the beautiful illustrates, that's what I want us all to hold on to. Accept your quest. What does that mean? That means be a light now in the darkness. Provide hope through story. Provide hope through new culture the creation of culture, and Seraphim, yes, that is in the book about Christian culture, as well as the essay that I wrote, uh, that I translated for you all last week. Educate yourselves. We talked about that in our video about testing out ideas, both good and bad ones. Educate yourselves. Don't give in to, and it's very easy to do this. You have to fight it. Don't give in to the prevailing narrative that is essentially fear-mongering. And Margaret, yeah, divine human synergy in the sense that the humans, the human uh, part provides the effort and the labor, and it is the the talent and the resonance that happens with others that is mostly the purview of the divine. Because if we were simply working with our own human abilities, we wouldn't be able to do very much when it comes to inspiration. I think we're seeing that a lot. Twitter is certainly not a source of much other than anger and ranting. Not much human divine synergy there. 
Educate yourselves. Don't give in to the prevailing narrative of fear-mongering and start living for the purpose of the edification and the love of others. Extend your heart. Accept your quest. Change the world. That's what I want to leave you with as, I, as we finish this series. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard and you'd like to delve more deeply into this topic, check out my audio series on stories that unite in dark times. Available exclusively at nicholaskotar.com forward slash stories that unite. And if you're hankering for more fantasy stories, check out my own Raven Sun epic fantasy series inspired by Russian fairy tales, available now in audio, paperback, and ebook formats. This show is produced by the wonderful Derek Cummins, and the beautiful title music is Lighthouse in the Rain, originally composed by Velislava Franta. You can find her work on SoundCloud. <laughs>